Good morning, afternoon, evening, wherever you're joining us from. My name is Amy Wandai, and I'm hosting the second session of the Africans of the Sports Business Series, hosted actually by the African Sports Unified. Today, we're going to be talking about how to engage with women and youth at the grassroots, and I have three lovely guests who are going to be joining for the session. So throughout the session, we'll discuss on how sport is being engaged with youth and women at the grassroots, and we'll also talk about some of the current and future plans that our guests have. So just a brief introduction on who we're going to be speaking with today. Um, we have Rowani Pinnock, who is the founder of the Badgers Football Club. And this is a female-owned nonprofit organization in Cape Town that now has a far-reaching impact with 149 women and girls registered with them. They've recently as well joined the South African Football Association, and they'll take part in the local league this season. The Badgers Academy also provides a safe and inclusive space where everyone is welcome to join. And a second, the second guest joining us today, we have Paul Dresbach, who is the founder and president of the Petrikor Football Association. And this association develops youth football in Cameroon through high-level coaching, league competition, and player development as a means to create pathways to personal and professional excellence. The the Petrico Football Association um, leads five member academies with 10 coaches, and they serve over 1,000 young footballers each week and currently operate the largest youth league in Cameroon. And last but not least, joining us today, we have Nomahi Vaughan, who is the project manager of the African Schools Program of, the, of CAF. And Yvonne's work basically consists of managing the, the program and by implementing and creating plans for African youth, African school championships and capacity building. So she coordinates numerous stakeholders to ensure that she creates an enabling environment for them. And it's quite an ambitious project which seeks to harness the power of football and develop youth um, and African boys and girls holistically. So without further ado, welcome Yvonne, Romani and Paul to this session. And um, I don't know if I missed anything in the introductions, but it would be lovely for us to just have one more round of, um, we can start with you, Paul, just, you know, share where you, maybe where you're joining us from today and anything about yourself and your organization that you'd love us to know. Yeah, thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Uh, yeah, like you said, my name is Paul Dreisbach, uh, started PetraCore in 2017 and really worked to uh, build capacity for local clubs and academies in Cameroon. Uh, I mean, that looks a lot of different ways, but, you know, that's a big project as well. But really excited to share about our work there and, you know, how we're starting to work together more with other people in this industry. Perfect. And if I can just follow up on this, can you tell us a bit more about why you created Petricor and, and basically why Cameroon? Why did you choose this as a place to work and what's the motivation behind the organization? Yeah, good question. Uh, my co-founder, Jordan Cohn, actually grew up in West Africa um, and so was very familiar with Cameroon. And he was coaching at a high level uh, women's league for a few years. So back in 2013 or so, uh, we had started to talk about what you know, Petrocore would later look like. And it um, came out of a need from the local federation and some coaches for youth development structure and pathways. So we found that underneath the top divisions, there wasn't as organized of a pathway for kids to move up through the system. Um, mm -hmm. So we started Petrocore and his association to help fill that gap, basically to provide structure, framework, 
um, you know, league development, logistics, more of the kind of back end side of what a football association looks like. So we don't have our own academy or anything like that. What we do is we're there to provide support for clubs that are already operational there that just never had the opportunity to learn the educational side or, you know, have the same access to coaching education. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Cameron, because, you know, he had that experience there. He was coaching for that women's club and, you know, some people approached us with the need to start that. So um, that's why Cameroon and then, you know, really trying to build something that answers the question that we were asked back in 2013. And here we are today. Fantastic. That sounds lovely. And it sounds like a great initiative. It's also great that there's so many different ways to be part of the ecosystem, not necessarily owning a club or a team, but also collaborating in different ways. Over to you, Yvonne. Can you tell us a bit more about your role as a project manager of Africa of the African Schools Program? Just a bit about what it, what it entails and what is the aim of the program for the people who are not aware of it or don't know what it does. Uh, thank you so much, Emmy. It's been really lovely to be part of this panel, and I was I was really um, happy to hear about uh, Paul's work, and I'm looking forward to hear about Romani's work. Um, I am a sports marketing practitioner and um, I do a lot of sports strategy. One of my favorite uh, reference terms to anything that I do is the player development pathway. So um, I'm very I'm very um, I'm very lucky to be in a position where that um, I actually influence the development of the player um, right from the beginning, which is at grassroots level. Um, the, the Africa Schools program it was started by the Confederation of Africa Football to basically complement the introductory bits of player development pathways. So CAF has a very big ambition of making uh, African countries more competitive, especially on the global stage. And from a technical perspective, then we have to get our football right from a young age. So we do recognize the fact that despite football being the most popular sport in Africa, we have a fundamental problem where we are not playing organized football at a younger age. We have many people who actually uh, think that the only option for them to actually play football professionally is to leave Africa. So we are trying to ensure that as CAF, we use our technical powers to actually begin um, organized football and technically superior football at a younger age so that we can develop the next generation of players that are going to be bred in Africa to play for their African countries. So the schools project basically uh, was um, was initiated last year, uh, was conceptualized last year, and uh, we began the first season this year. This year, we have been able to work with 22,000 schools from across 41 different countries in Africa, and we have been able to directly impact and influence um, over 800,000 children, school-going children above uh, 12 years of age and below 15 years of age using football as a passion focus point. So a little bit later on, I'm going to highlight um, what the program is, uh, but the anchor of it is the championship bit where we we actually give a platform for this aspiring footballers to play in organized competition. Wow, that sounds fantastic, Yvonne. I mean, I'm I'm learning I'm learning about about that so much more now, and that that's the impact sounds great. And I think it is definitely something that's needed because it's true that 
misconception that there is is that to play professional football you do have to leave the continent so it's really good to see that there is a focus on nurturing this talent within the continent and making sure that these stars can be born and bred within the continent that's fantastic and over to you romani um tell us more about the badgers football academy and maybe some of your motivations behind starting this academy thanks amy um my motivation started a bit um on the contrary to Paul's and Yvonne's, because uh, it was just from a personal point of view where I myself wanted to play football in Cape Town, South Africa, as a beginner, as an adult woman, and couldn't find the space that that would teach me and sort of be welcoming to someone who knew nothing about playing football. So we started very socially um, as a social club of adult women, but quickly realized the positive impact that team sports and just that sense of community was having on adult women, which made us um, look towards young girls and say, if, it, if it's so easy to create this positive impact in adult women, um, you know, we should be pivoting and focusing on girls, especially girls who would ordinarily not have access to team sport, to a sports club, or just to a secure community, which is when we, we ended up um, becoming more structured and registered as a non-profit and sort of put in place a plan of where we wanted to get to in the next few years around building women's football in South Africa, but actually building safe or brave spaces for girls and women to be the best versions of themselves. Uh, I totally agree with Yvonne and Paul that we need the structures, the framework, the organization um, and then I really think that route to professional football comes hand in hand with creating spaces where young girls and women can can feel strong and confident and resilient um, and that the benefits of team sport are very much obvious and, and the science is out there, but there's still not enough um, organizations focusing on that. There are many, but there's just space for so many more. And that if you can create strong young girls and women, they lead into strong players uh, when it comes to a semi-professional professional pathway, or even not. We we don't mind if you're not very good at football and join Badgers. Maybe you'll benefit in some other way um, in your schoolwork, assistance with your schoolwork, which is you know having more grit and confidence in your in your daily life. So that's brought us to where we are. Where now we're looking at. Uh, the structure, the federations, uh, and seeing, okay, we started from a community-focused um, angle, but now we find ourselves in Africa's football ecosystem for women. How can we grow with it, and how can we better it, and how can we make sure that more girls and women are playing football on the continent? Fantastic. And just speaking about speaking about growth, Romani, um, I'd love to hear about how this um, football academy has grown since you started it. And with everyone, you know, the concept of whether it's starting something from scratch or being part of something since the early days. You know, Yvonne, you've mentioned that the project is very young. It only started last year. And it would just be very interesting to know what it was like since the beginning. You know, any challenges, any key moments that have been there and what it looks like today, because obviously there's, you, you three are people who are working on great projects with great impact. So Romani, please tell us um, what your growth path has been like since you started. Well, the growth was unexpected because mm -hmm. we didn't intend to be a registered women's football club in the local federation. Uh, we didn't we didn't 
even see that on the horizon when we started. So I would say unexpected growth that then in order to catch up with the growth that was taking place, it was very important to have aligned uh, volunteers and partners who walked that walk with us, aligned in mission, aligned in wanting to create impact because um, Badges is actually my side hustle. Uh, mm -hmm. I do it as a volunteer and most of the people working in Badges are volunteers. So to, to sort of ignite passion towards that impact in individuals, in our members, so that they give back um, towards that growth has been wonderful to watch and actually did happen by chance that other people were like, wow, I also want to be involved. So that, that sort of initial growth was unexpected. Now that we are registered um, competing in the leagues, we see other growth potential and, and growth stumbling blocks, actually. There have been a lot of stumbling blocks along the way. The football world in most of the world is, is built for boys and men, by boys and men. And um, just being a woman-owned club in Cape Town is already the first challenge of sort of getting into those spaces, being respected in those spaces, having opinions in those spaces that are listened to. So we we now are growing within the framework that South African Football Association has put in place and CAF has put in place, but are a bit of a different beast in a way. Um, we're, you, I often say women's football is in a startup phase, which is a positive and a difficulty. The positive is we can be um, flexible and we can approach things. We're not tied down by uh, historical ways of working. Uh, but again, it comes with its challenges because who is this disruptor in the space? You know, is women's football going to take up too much space in the broadcasting? Is it going to affect the men's sponsorship, et cetera, et cetera? So there are definitely challenges there. And, and just on a personal note, I think our next steps will be to to move into that semi-professional space. Um, mm -hmm. we, we're very grassroots at the moment, but we we have talent in our um, in our pool of members that need pathways where they can professionalize on or off the field where you know whether they're female coaches refs or players uh we yeah. want to move into that semi-professional space and also to understand how grassroots must match semi-professional needs if we're working in that space then we know what to focus in in on um when it comes to grassroots Oh, fantastic. I 100% agree. And we're going to touch on that later in terms of the, the growth plan and the expansion, I think, with everyone on what are the next steps and where it can go. But it's fantastic to see how you've grown since the beginning. And I mean, obviously, I'm sure everyone listening is impressed. I've seen some of the people in the comments commenting that, you know, you have a great plan and fantastic to see that keep going. Just a comment to everyone that's tuning in as well. Please feel free to leave any questions or comments as well in, in, in the in the chat and we're we're happy to ask the panelists any questions that you'd like to ask them. But back to the panel, Yvonne, I would love to ask you the same question in terms of growth. Since you started working at the Confederation of African Football, how has the women's game developed? 
Um, I think for me, it's been very uh, tremendous, uh, both from a management side and from the technical side of, uh, of African football. Um, I was very, I was very proud uh, when I joined the organization last year, and uh, I could see more women within the management side. But what made it a, a bit, um, a bit more impactful was the roles that these women play. Like for example, I think. Um, what is very commendable right now is that the Confederation of Africa Football has a chief uh, operations officer who is a woman and among us, the directors, that we have representation. Um, 40% of the employees at CAF right now are women. And we're not talking about secretaries. We're talking right from executive level um, and, and uh, mid-management and also the officers. So it's very encouraging also that uh, when we go out for capacity building initiatives, which is part of our of our job as uh, employees of Confederation of Africa Football, it's very encouraging when the young girls on the field, especially within the Africa Sports Program, they come up to you and they tell you, you know what, I want to be like you when I grow up. It's a mm -hmm. bit, um, um, uh, Romani touched about pathways. These are the pathways that we are looking to set. We are telling people that you can be, we're telling other girls and women that you can be in football um, without necessarily having to limit yourself to playing it. So apart from giving opportunities for girls, like one of the mandatory um, prerequisites of being in our program is that uh, if you have a boys team, then you have to have a girls team. And recently, in uh, in the uh, recently, CAF launched a, license, a club licensing platform uh, for women teams. And in the next few years, you're going to see that more countries are going to make it mandatory for any male teams in their league, in the Premier League, to have a women's team. We're already seeing some of the, uh, some of the countries adapting to that in Africa. So. Um, and for me, I think it's very impactful that every small step that we take, every small step that we take in the pathways, like for now, we have an equal representation. It's only five out of the 41 countries who did not equal the number of girls team to those of the boys team. And right now, our women's development department is making strategies specific for those countries to encourage um, girls' participation, especially in the football part and also in the capacity building part and also the nurturing of talent so that in everything that we do, no matter what level, then there's equal representation of male and female because this is encouraging. It is the small little boxes that we tick yeah. that eventually will actually put it all together. I liked... Um, I liked, um, I liked the fact that um, uh, you mentioned earlier about, um, about uh, no, I think it was Romani who mentioned about um, how does it affect, um, how does it affect other male brands, you know, when we have a female brand. Um, Confederation of Africa Football took the Giants take, you know, just um, creating an, a, an identity just for women's football, you know. That is a risk on its own. We're already seeing um, um, other other confederations taking this leap, and we've already seen that we have specific organizations that just want to work with women, not because there's a problem with the men, but just to encourage and to recognize that every little bit they do towards supporting that will, is going to encourage another woman to actually be involved in football. So um, I think for us, uh, it's a good time for African uh, women at whatever level. If uh, if budgets uh, if budgets can have adult women joining football in adulthood, <laughs> then 
us, then it's, it complements everything that we do to try and push it from grassroots level for every young girl, because now they will know that um, I don't necessarily have to start, you know, at this age, the, the older kids in the school or the parents who are involved um, or the sisters, the siblings so who are, uh, or the aunties, the family, immediate family of the people that we're impacting at grassroots level, they will know that also it does not, the back does not stop at playing, you know, that there's all this other opportunity. Lovely. I really like what you've said about that, Yvonne. And I'm um, specifically really just touching on the fact that the, the topic of collaboration is a huge one. You know, it's not necessarily creating the women's game and having it run as its own kind of thing in the corner or this, you know, something that's super separate. I think one thing that um, I, I, a lot of people in the sector agree on is the room for collaboration, meaning that, you know, these two things can run both as at the same time, very collaboratively and support each other in the same way. Not that one has to be on one hand and the other one on the other hand. So definitely a lot of um, room for collaboration. Still on the topic of growth though, Paul, um, how big has Petrikov become since you created it? How has it grown? Have there been any challenges along the way? Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, for sure. It was good to hear from everyone on you know, how things are going. It's just inspiring to see the movement across the continent. Um, on our end, you know, it, it comes and goes a little bit, you know, so our model is to work with, like I said, local clubs. So, you know, we might take on what we have capacity for to help support. So, for example, in the beginning, we started with around 15 academies, and that represented thousands and thousands of players uh, in different communities. Um, you know, that that goes down a little bit from time to time and then up again, depending on which academies are part of our association. So like you said earlier, currently we have five, uh, we're going to have 10, you know, this fall. So as far as numbers, you know, it, it changes a little bit, but you know, in the future, we're hoping to make that a bit more consistent. And the long-term goal would be to, as we're working with these academies, have them spin off and be more sustainable on their own. So Almost the less academies you work with at times is good because that means there's success happening. Um, and then, you know, we would move on and work with other academies. So from the beginning till now, you know, it comes and goes a bit. But, you know, in the future, we're hoping to make that a bit more consistent as the cycles go. On the kind of branding side and reputation, I think that's actually been a deeper growth that we've recognized is important, just that our brand stands for something different. You know, we stand for, um, you know, being, being a different organization. Obviously we're all in this space right now because a lot of people have tried this in the past and sometimes it doesn't work. And we're hoping that the, the things that we're trying works and sticks. And that's why we're trying to collaborate more and more, um, be innovative in this space. So I think that because we stand for some different values, I think that's uh, resonating with some people our model's a bit different. So, you know, attracting some different partners and sponsors to really help us get going uh, has helped a lot in the growth space as well. Fantastic. And I mean, I, I believe you launched um, a league, an under 15 girls league. So can you tell us a bit more about this and what, what the development has been around this? I would love to know about a bit more about participation, the difficulties that you had in putting it together and the engagement and the growth as well and expansion. Has it expanded to different age groups and what are the plans for that? Yeah, that's a great question. It's something we're really excited about. Uh, one of the member requirements for being a Petrocore member is they have to build a girls team within the first year of joining 
And they also have to provide leadership opportunities for women coaches. So as part of that requirement, we weren't exactly sure how it would be, how it would go in the beginning. We just knew it was extremely important. Um, and we very quickly became one of the largest girls development initiatives that we know of, you know, at least in Cameroon, maybe further, mainly because we were specifically targeting, you know, starting from that young age all the way up. Um, so with that growth, we, we knew we needed to start a league around it because there were so many girls that wanted to play. So we were providing these opportunities. So we decided let's start with the, the 15 age group. And this was, we actually ran internally a U15 league right before COVID. So it kind of took a while to actually get done with it being interrupted. Um, so that was kind of a tester internally. And then we officially launched a U15 and U13 league with La Liga starting this past February and it went till, until May. So that was a huge success, um, a league that specifically targeted uh, that age group for girls and, and showcased their talent and their dreams and ambitions and yeah, all of that. It was, it was a great initiative and we're looking forward to more. Fantastic. And just to to touch on something that you mentioned there, which is the requirement, because this is the second time I'm hearing this in this discussion. I think, Yvonne, you mentioned it as well, that, you know, you say to them that in order to have a male team, you must have a female team. That sometimes tends to be a bit controversial. And I'd just love to hear from, from you both um, about the feedback on, on how this works, you know, because it would be nice for us to break that throughout this session in that what it sounds like, you, you said there's a lot of girls and women eager to join, you know, and that's something a lot of people don't know and don't hear about when we say whenever there's a program and it's that, hey, as a requirement, if you have a male team, there has to be a female team. Sometimes there's a bit of like, oh, you know, but we won't find people or people and girls and women are, are not interested, but you're actually creating that opportunity. And once you've done that, what's the response like? What is the underground as someone who has created this opportunity? What's the response to it? Yeah, I mean, for us, I mean, I can speak for our experience. Like I said earlier, we knew it was extremely important. And we knew just from experience in West Africa that there were a lot of girls that wanted to play. There just weren't organized pathways for them to join the, the mm -hmm. game. There's a lot of barriers. And so we, in understanding those things, we decided, look, this has to be the same. You know, the girls league we run is called the Equality League. So with that said, we wanted to let everybody know this is what we're about. Um, so making it a requirement was forcing our member academies and the people we work with to get creative on how how to open that up in your communities. There's a lot yeah. of cultural issues. There's a lot of all the other things that go alongside of it that are very difficult. And that's that's why it's not happening as quickly just because there's other barriers to to cross. But making that a requirement from the, you know, from the start of being a member has opened the doors in ways that even the coaches in our communities didn't even know. So now they're seeing like, oh my goodness, like I knew there was girls that wanted to play, but this is way bigger than I thought. So now they're getting more excited about it, which in turn helps their families get excited about it. And they, so it can, there's a bit of a ripple effect that had for us, it had to start with kind of a, look, this has to happen. Mm -hmm. And after that, now it's just become, this is just who we are. Fantastic. What about you, Yvonne, in, in, in your experience with that? Is it kind of the same thing? Is it receptive to the critics? Actually, are they right in a sense or is it the complete opposite? Because what Paul has mentioned is fantastic. It's that there is interest, but there's just no one, you know, taking the step to organize it. But when you create this requirement, then you end up 
creating a place where these people who are interested definitely have an opportunity. So what's it been like on your side? Um, actually, it's, it has been within the same breath, actually. Uh, we were very impressed by the positive response. And um, I think when you understand fundamentally uh, the cultural impact uh, of some of the uh, of the of the behavioral patterns we see in sport, then you understand that uh, even as you're trying to champion women's involvement in football, then you realize that the the the, the male impact, the, the, the male around the female have actually um, just as much impact as another female within the same uh, setup. So mm -hmm. our approach basically has been to encourage the male within these football environments to actually understand what it means to provide opportunity for the girls to also get involved in football. So we have had also a very positive um, impact and it has been championed by the same um, um, uh, men in football, actually, you know, just uh, to encourage and to push some of this uh, uh, because of the nature of our program, uh, uh, the schools fall under the Ministry of Education. So we're not just dealing with the Ministry of Sport um, as we would normally do when it comes to the to the senior level. So when we engage the different governments, uh, authorities in these different countries, then the reception is just as um, as positive, um, uh, just uh, similar to what Paul is sharing. The reception is very positive. And again, in uh, the challenges uh, are usually limited to um, like one of the biggest challenges we've had especially in the countries which do not have um, school games already going on is just um, the equipment you know which is something that we are working on right now to just sort of ensure that we're not going to have uh, lack of equipment hindering and uh, it's been it's been um, it was very it's been very colorful to see uh, that even some of the kids who found the football boots that we gave them uncomfortable, they still opted to play barefoot, you know. Um, so uh, the reception has been very good and we have the, the boys team cheering the, 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 their female counterparts, even from other schools. So we have schools that were not necessarily mixed, so we have typically just boys school and, uh, and just girls school, but uh, the environment that we have during the competitions is very encouraging. So we've had a very, very positive um, impact and we're very glad that we get to actually define these pathways for any woman who wants to be involved in sport. Um, Emmy, is it possible to uh, to sort of tie in my response because uh, we had someone who asked specifically about? Um, uh, let Go me find ahead. It. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. So Nomvelo uh, asked, "Is there room?" to have CAF set up administrative and management structures locally or within the regions as a pathway for future administrators and sport managers within football. So um, one of the things that, uh, that we are doing with the school's program is that apart from setting or defining the player development pathway, we are also defining the career development pathways. And this is opportunity is available to both men and women. So we are talking about the people who are around the children who are participating in football. If we have uh, well-trained personnel around the kids, then it means we are going to have uh, well-prepared adults to compete uh, at the next stage of competition. So what we are doing is that 
at management, we have uh, we have um, four, five different focus areas. We have uh, the administrative of the game where we have general coordinators. We're encouraging to have one male and one female. So you will be trained by an elite uh, general coordinator from CAF to prepare for the competition. So the career development pathway here is that when you're involved in the Africa Schools program, then the next opportunity, if you do well at the national phase, then you will qualify to be part of the administrative unit at the zonal mm -hmm. phase and also proceed to the national phase. Just as the championships are going on at the different stages, then these female administrators will also get opportunity. You'll be assessed at every stage and you will get opportunity to showcase this at the continental level of the Africa Schools program. And after mm -hmm. that, the next career pathway is that at under 17 Africa Cup of Nations. So the pathway here is the Africa Schools program, under 17 Africa Cup of Nations, under 20 Africa Cup of Nations, under 23 Africa Cup of Nations, and then you'll go into the senior competitions after that. So that we have in, in place structures for administrative and managerial mm -hmm. career development for women within CAF that is tied from grassroots all the way up to uh, to elite level. These pathways exist in general coordinators, safety and stadium safety and security. Um, uh, we also have uh, for female referees because we have uh, we have been having the Africa Schools Championship being um, as assistant referees being uh, um, women from below 18 years old. So they, they get uh, training to be able to officiate at that level. And this is the same pathway that they will follow. So you'll see some of these people come from these uh, structures that we are putting in place at grassroots level. So in every country that we go to, we identify these people with the passion and once we when, once the need is um, is actually um, uh, actually warrants more training, then we send in the experts from the pool of experts of CAF, and you will be in the system. So just to answer that question, we do have these structures, and they're already in place. And even right now, in the previously held Women's Africa Cup of Nations, eighty percent of the workforce were women. Fantastic. Yvonne, actually, the next thing I was going to ask you is about, you did tell us, you give us an overview of this program, but I was going to ask about specific activities and you've just given us a fantastic overview of the pathways and exactly what, how you can get involved and, and the path to take. So fantastic. Thank you so much for that. And Don Velo, I hope your question is answered and you have a fantastic response from Yvonne. Um, Romani, I'd like to go over to you and just talk about, obviously, you gave us an overview of the, of the academy, but I'd like to talk about this concept of increasing participation for women and girls in, in the community in general. What, what are some of the activities that you do um, in order to achieve this? And as well for the, for, for the football academy as a whole, what are your next steps? What's, what are the next plans? What are the next things? I know you mentioned a few things about you know, moving to a semi-professional level, but is there anything more that you're hoping to achieve? Thanks, Amy. Um, in terms of growing football for girls and women, a lot of it is working with schools. Um, we partner with low or no resource, low resource public schools in the area who wouldn't uh, ordinarily have coaches available or grounds available. So we sort of approach them and say, we'll um, coach your girls. I mean, it's quite similar to Yvonne's program, but it's just 
uh, a tiny spoke in the big continental wheel where we'll we'll go to as many schools as we can afford to work with and try and get those girls being a part of our program. Um, unfortunately, a lot of them might travel far to come into school and have trouble getting home safely. So one of mm -hmm. our big issues in growing numbers is actually safe transport. Um, we, we get a huge number of requests from girls to join uh, who, who can't actually make it to us safely. Um, uh, Tim Biso asked what age groups we have, and we, we work for, with high school and up. And, and the reason we don't go younger is because we don't have the funds to cater for getting younger girls home safely. Our high school girls can take public transport. Even so, it's not safe and it's not reliable, and they do have issues. And we do have an attrition rate that is directly linked to transport problems. So um, our growth is working with schools. Our growth is um, marketing to, like Ivan said, siblings, sisters, uh, aunties, whoever is in the network, because the interest is there. But we cannot talk about women's football in Africa and in South Africa without talking about safe access. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, everything we've spoken to up until now is the beautiful side of football. There is a very mm -hmm. ugly side to women's football in the world. Um, I speak from a South African context, which uh, pr there are ongoing blocks for, for girls to safely access and stay committed to mm -hmm. a football club that is that is a place that is a football club specifically for women or at least offering um, access to women and you know I think a lot of a lot of issues are also can can be directly linked to finances so mm -hmm. if, if you're a club that can afford a bus and do a door-to-door -door drop you will be able to actively grow the sport for women if you don't yeah. have that you're you're in trouble and you will continue to be in trouble until there is massive societal and governmental shift which we don't we, i don't think many of us will see that in our lifetime so the there is the, the ugly side of women's football needs a government um movement that that needs to to back it uh provinces cities countries need to get involved and and I, I love hearing about what CAF's doing. Um, SAFA, the South African Football Association, here is also doing a, um, a school program uh, linked with FIFA. I often find that as, as much as that is taking place and we can see incredible statistics of the reach that these programs are having, you're still sitting at the bottom of that hierarchical pyramid with a huge number of grassroots mm -hmm or non-profit organizations that cannot access any of the support necessary to grow the sport. Uh, I'll just give a quick personal example is we, we're a non-profit. The funds we bring in are from uh, crowdfunded donations and membership fees from those who can afford to pay, and we rent out our site. So we operate on a, a very much on a shoestring. Um, when we go to our local football association with an application for funding, they actually didn't know where to send it. They hadn't received one. Uh, uh, and, and, you know, everyone loves to say, we support women's football. Support means money, structure, transport, politics. Mm -hmm. So our local football association didn't know where to send it. 
our city um, staffer Cape Town, uh, I, you know, I, I can't get hold of them. So the applications are sitting somewhere. They're not even structured applications. They are my take of what they would require from a club to prove that we are worthy of, of, um, of funding. Uh, if you go higher than that as a grassroots football club, you are told to go lower because mm -hmm. you know I can't, I can't write to Yvonne and ask her for help. It has to go through the through the right processes. I can't write straight to Safa in Johannesburg. So there's a there are incredible strategies being drawn up at incredible costs at the top mm -hmm. of this pyramid of women's football, taking incredible amounts of time. But how do we get it to filter down to the bottom of the pyramid is the mm -hmm. problem. How does it, and I'm, I'm one of definitely thousands of clubs in the same situation who are built around creating impact for girls, but don't know which door will open when knocked on. So no doors open yet for us when knocked on. We go to corporate and we go to our own members to make, to make things operate. So I, what I would love to see is in those strategies it's, it also indicates how the bottom of the bottom can click send on an application to prove their worth. Yeah. There is a huge amount of money in the system. It's about getting it to the right places and capacity exactly. in the right places. Are no, fantastic. I think... <laughs> No, 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 no. It's great. I think you definitely touched on a very interesting and important side because those are the specific issues that have to deal with grassroots because we talk and celebrate women's football on a very high level, but at the bottom where the talent is being developed, there are barriers of entry. And you've touched on so many things, which is, you know, aside from the, you know, being actually listened to and having that much importance, is things like safety and security. And I think I understand the the perspective of being this person who has decided to set something up, you know, whether it's a side hustle or it's what you're doing full time, but setting something up based on passion and, you know, going through the barriers and making it work, but you only have a limited capacity. The ecosystem and environment you lived in does have barriers which need to be overcome. And that's why at the end of the day, it's something that as a community, as a whole, as a country, as a system, we have to all, you know, be on the same page. So women's football is not just a matter of people involved or interested in women's football. It's a matter of men's football, of the whole ecosystem, of how the society perceives sports and women and everything in general. There's so much more that touches onto it. So it's very interesting that you touched on that. And it's I hope it's important for us to acknowledge all the barriers besides just within the sports, because that's not enough. And Paul, I did want to ask about, just in the spirit of the challenges that Romani has talked about, that you did have a, a collaboration with La Liga, and obviously that is quite high level. And I, I just want to know what this entailed and how it, how it came across and what it means for the women's game in Cameroon in general, because this would be interesting to kind of um, balance out and understand how, you know, even just in terms of speaking on the challenges that Romani has gone through, you know, balancing communication and getting people to actually see the importance of grassroots and, and investing into the grassroots. How did you go about that? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, we, we deal with a lot of the same issues, to be honest. And I, we see a lot of the investment and attention into women's football as long overdue and we're all about it, but it's a little bit top heavy, I feel like. And, you know, a lot of us that are kind of doing this work at the bottom, that's so important to make it happen for everyone else that works the way up. You know, we're having to get super creative and bootstrap this to make it work. Um, so like Romani said, I mean, we're, we're, we're in the same boat, you know, we're all trying to make this happen um, and get creative with moving these things forward. Uh, part of that, you know, 
on our end was really closing that gap and figuring out how to do that. Right. So um, speaking of the partnership with La Liga, you know, we've, we've talked to them, you know, years and years ago about, you know, what does a partnership look like, how to get invested in, you know, growing the women's side of the game, really working on the structure and the framework for long-term growth in a responsible way that's not disjointed, right? Because everyone's doing their own thing, but we want to try to connect everything together um, and really provide that equal access to the game, you know, not about who you know, how much money you have, where you live, any of that stuff, you know, just keeping that entry level uh, equal to everyone. With that said, um, for us, it was more about, I think, just doing our work well. I think La Liga and other partners, you know, want to see that, you know, you're a brand worth partnering with and that you're really responsible and you're going to do it right. Um, So when we said, hey, look, this is what we're doing with or without you to multiple partners, they were Mm -hmm. like, hey, yeah, we're in. Right. So, yeah. Like, um, so this is, this is what we're committed to and we're, we're going to make this happen, whether it takes mm-hmm. five years or 50 years, you know, like we, we see the importance of this. So we're, we're into it. Um, so understanding that commitment, I think, um, a brand like La Liga comes in and says, yes, you know, like, yeah, let's do it. That, that didn't come without, you know, putting in a lot of hard work and, you know, proving what we're doing is working. You know, we've been doing this for five years now. Um, the partnership with La Liga definitely helps on the credibility and the branding, kind of the global awareness side. Uh, that partnership is specific for the youth league for girls. So the U13, U15, and the women's coaching education course run alongside of that is the partnership with La Liga. So Petricor, I mean, we have lots of other programs we work on kind of outside of that, but the La Liga partnership has come in specifically on that girls and women's development side that we are, you know, obviously very happy about and already thinking about creative ways to take that further and how to provide that same level of credibility and exposure to other organizations. Because that's, I mean, you just have to, get in front of the right person that it clicks with. Right. And they're in. So um, the more people you can talk to about it and really Mm -hmm. communicate why you're doing it and how it's Mm -hmm. working and um, you know, how it's developing these young athletes in incredible ways. Yeah. Like all the other founders out there, you have, we do this every day and every once in a while, sometimes it connects with someone well and you know, you can take the next step. Um, Yeah. So yeah. I I don't know if that answered your question or not. No, it did. And that is the beauty and the power of sports. At the end of the day, even if it is harder, um, if, you know, at the grassroots level, at the end of the day, that it will connect with someone at some point. So definitely for Romani, I hope these conversations can keep happening and you keep getting a wider audience to speak to and, you know, touch on to to have the right person connect with that, with, with the concept. And, you know, as Paul said, we're going to do it anyway. If you're going to come on board, well and good. If not, we're going to keep pushing and we're going to keep fighting. That's got to be our spirit because it's it's the only way that we can keep going. So I'm going to switch now to some of the questions from the audience, um, from the people list tuning in. I'll try and get through all of them. So just going to go back to the top and see from some of our past conversations. There's a question to everyone. And if anyone feels more suited to take this, you know, just signal me, let me know. But the question says, um, 
I think it's more about will having regional or district sports organizations or federations within countries help in tackling issues faced by regions or districts? So they mentioned that this is similar to that used in the UK where counties have sports federations. So in Africa in general, will yeah. it help yeah. to have regional or district sports organizations or federations within the countries instead of maybe one governing body? Yeah, so um, maybe let me take this one. Mm -hmm. uh, what we have noticed is that uh, already uh, within the different African countries, uh, we already have these uh, regional uh, federations. Uh, what is lacking right now, or rather the gap that we face, is that we do not have uh, the right people to, um, to sort of address some of these challenges that uh, are unique to each region. So, like, for example, what uh, a northern region of a country, same country, different challenges for the north region and for the south region and for the east and for the west. So uh, one of the key things is to, uh, is to have the right people with the right knowledge. Otherwise, in terms of political representation, already each country in Africa sort of has the regional uh, of, uh, organizations. And one of the key things that we are trying to do, especially for us uh, through the schools program, is that when we engage the relevant um, government authorities, then one of the key things that we are looking for is to ensure that anyone around anyone who wants to participate in football has the right knowledge, uh, first of all. So like, for example, the lowest level of coaching in Africa is the license D coaching. Uh, one of the big, hairy, audacious goals that we have is that every PE teacher in every school in Africa should at least have a license D coaching in the next five years. This way, uh, the first person who is in contact with a kid who wants to get involved in football will have mm -hmm. the right basics, you know, to get uh, to get into football. Uh, it, it, it's um, it's an African problem, but it's it, we don't have so many people who say they want to be in football when they grow up. It's not something somebody can say confidently. Yeah. So um, we do have the political structures. Right now, the work is in ensuring that everybody within those structures has the right, um, the right training to be able to address the specific challenges in the area so that we can harmonize and have uh, more competitive football being played and even better management of football uh, within those um, those uh, regional uh, organized uh, federations or associations. Perfect. Thank you so much for answering that, Yvonne. I'm going to move on to the next question from Numbello. I think, you're, Yvonne, you already answered her question to you. So this one is to Romani, and the question is, are there any plans to make the club professional in terms of sport administrations? Administrator, sorry, and the management where people are employed full-time because she, she heard you mention that it's a bit like part-time or voluntary as well. Hmm. Thanks, Nomvelo. Um, essentially, the people volunteering are professionals, uh, mm -hmm. but are not. So, so we do bring a professional element with everyone who's involved. But when we talk about full-time employment, uh, unfortunately, we just talk about money again. So there's, there's very little money uh, within the federation structures for grassroots staffing. So until we can locate it through other means, we can't pay um, the majority of the people who work at Badgers. 
and we're lucky enough that they're very invested uh, in their normal professional lives to also volunteer at badges. Um, so it is definitely the goal, Nomvelo. We would love to have full-time staff on uh, good salaries making this um, project move forward and growing women in football, not only on the field, but administratively. Uh, so it's in our, it's, it's on the horizon, but we have to fundraise for it. Eventually. I'll just add one more point, is that yeah. the, what we do like to offer um, is we, we have a, a cohort of girls who are coming out of their last year of school now, um, so what we're chatting to them about are paid internships so that they can work with us and get work experience and be ready for further education or, for, or further employment. So we want to build that professionalization on an administrative level through multiple means. Um, adults in the system already who want to work full time, but then also from within the club, those who are invested as members to start seeing that there are jobs possible within clubs that don't just mean being a professional football player. Fantastic. The great, the, the next one is, 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 is to you, Paul. Um, and it's basically about your experience in convincing FAs and clubs to do things right. So I think I've linked a bit to the La Liga one. I don't know if there's anything different to add, but it's, it, it, he said, share how you approach them, um, which you already mentioned. It's I'm doing it. You join an auto. This is how we do it kind of thing. But I don't know. Is there any in, in terms of more of the doing things right? Is there any approach that you have to that? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a much larger question, I think, but um, par part of the reason why we exist is because some other groups maybe tried to do things that didn't work or ran into problems down the road and eventually couldn't do it. Um, but, but like I said, you know, some of our values are standing for doing things differently and in a very transparent way and to build a system that works for everybody. Yeah. Um, but it all has to be above board. We have very high standards. And, you know, like I said, we started with a lot of academies. Some of those mm -hmm. academies weren't ready to meet those standards. So we have a process of like, if you're not ready to be here, you're out, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. and, and not in a bad way, but like you can rejoin in a year once you're back. Yes. But with our brand and with where we're going, you have to reach this standard. And so we can all start to lift up together because we can't just like everyone go down to where you are. Exactly. Just just to make you feel better, maybe. And and it's not in a bad way. It's more of we have to raise the level for everybody. Yeah. Um, and even for our own brand, because, you know, like what we do and what we stand for represents something different. And we want all of the players and families and communities involved to understand that. So it, it protects our brand. It protects where we're going. Um, and it is difficult because the system is broken. You know, there's a lot of very difficult, fractured, you know, dysfunctional systems that we're trying to work within and manage. And it is difficult to convince somebody that's done something a certain way for a long time that yeah. Look, this isn't working. Stop doing it that way. Or like, you know, like we all know this isn't working, but yeah. it's very difficult to change that mindset because there's such a like a, kind of a temporary, you know, short-term goal orientation as opposed to where do I want this to be in 20 years, 30 years, and who do I want to be running it? Instead yeah. of, hey, you know, like, what can I get today? Or what am I going to eat tonight? Which there are exactly. all these other aspects that we understand that people deal with. 
but how that translates into leadership and decision-making gets a little bit tricky. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's a much bigger conversation. Yeah. It's difficult trying to convince other groups to do things the right way when it comes down to some very hard situations. For sure. And I'm going to, I'm going to also ask you the next question because it's a bit similar, but on a different, on, on a different aspect of advice. And I like it because it's a bit linked to, um, it says, well, I'll read it. It's from Francis on LinkedIn. And he said, hi, Paul, as someone in, involved with different clubs and assisting them, what have you used as a theory of change advice um, would you give to a club like Badgers to tackle some of the stereotypes that come with girls and women and women's football? So that's fantastic because we can share some tips within and to the listeners, but that's great. Um, what would, I, I think the question is, what have you used as a theory of change? Would, would be the advice you can give to a club like Badgers um, to deal and tackle with some of the stereotypes that comes with girls and women's football? Yeah, I mean, I, I personally want to learn from Badgers, so I'm not sure what advice I can give, but um, I, I would say something we've learned in this in this space is um, giving, so the biggest thing is giving an opportunity for, you know, women to grow and be leaders in this space and letting them take that, you know, however that works, people need, need the space to grow and learn and, and fail and grow again, right? People need the space to learn how to be a leader. So providing those opportunities, one, in an open way that allows them to be creative in that space is a big deal. Um, and two, that creates a role model. So other people can see, like we've talked already, oh, there's there's someone that looks like me that came from the same place uh, that's in a position of leadership. I can do that, you know, whether that's playing on the field or maybe it's coaching or maybe it's, you know, being a kit manager, whatever that looks like. Um, and we also try to highlight different aspects of skill sets. So it might not even be with the game. It might be more analytical on how do you how do you do the data side of football analysis? You know, someone might be skilled in that way. So one, you know, it's kind of providing that opportunity for someone to have that pathway to become a leader. Two is like, you know, creating role models and systems for people to see what they can do, I think is really important. Um, something that's been a little difficult for us is a lot of people want to see something work before they get involved or before they completely buy in. So they're like, oh yeah, that sounds great. But you know, I don't know, you know, but once things really start to work, they're like, oh yeah, we're in whatever it exactly. takes. Once they see it happen, people are 100% in. So you just have to, I think, kind of push through that difficult space so that people can see it start to work. And once they see it, they start to believe it a bit more. Fantastic. Um, I'm going to move on to the next question, which is to all, but I think Yvonne would love to take it, which is um, Amy on YouTube says, considering that sports in Africa is not really seen as a potential uh, professional career for women in several African homes, has this been a challenge in terms of support from guardians? Uh, yeah, I think um, uh, Romania mentioned before, there are some challenges that are unique to uh, to female uh, or rather to, to the girls being involved in football. So um, one of the biggest issues that we've had to tackle is, um, or to answer is, uh, is, my, is my daughter going to be safe 
you know, being involved in football, especially in countries that don't have school games. Um, and uh, also those countries who have school games, but we're asking them to play in one central location, meaning that there's travel involved. Uh, like they're going to be away for a whole day, you know. Um, so um, as an organization, we've had to put in place measures, uh, especially uh, to reinforce uh, safeguarding the environment within which our our uh, competitions take part in. Like, for example, right now we are working um, under the umbrella of the FIFA safeguarding policy. It's mandatory for every team that is registered to have a safeguarding um, officer, one male and one female safeguarding officer. And uh, they have to undergo uh, training. And some of these questions that go directly to school administrators are usually documented documented and uh, we are able to actually answer these questions uh, we document them for purposes of um, of checking in the event that we have a repeat occurrence of the same thing uh, we also have the children asking very many questions uh, we've had uh, a lot of learning opportunities uh, in terms of some of the organizations that we have tried to engage in as partners in our program so um I know that most uh, most people are aware that, uh, especially matters to do uh, with uh, reference to um, to anything uh, sexual, and mostly we're dealing with uh, with kids who are just uh, uh, hitting puberty. You know, uh, they have so many questions around everything, um, and how we approach, how we handle these questions. Actually, most of these matters they're not football, but they arise within the football space. You know, some of these girls who are in girls-only schools come in contact with boys for the first time within the football space because our competitions are having both boys and girls at the same place. So. Um, uh, while we are not yet there in terms of um, uh, of having more women choose to be involved in football as a career option, we are putting in place measures to ensure that the environment within which they operate in, either as players or administrators, is safe for them. So right now uh, and in the next few years, we are going to be um, to be uh, protecting and being very overprotective. One of the key things, in fact, uh, all my meetings uh, with the schools program always begins with, I need everyone in the room to treat each boy and girl as their son or daughter. If you cannot mm -hmm. do something to your child, then do not allow it to be done to any child that is within our program. So um, we are not yet there, but right now, it is a challenge that we face where some of the guardians are very um, uh, adamant in terms of what they can and what they cannot tolerate. And we've had, of course, some uh, some uh, some girls miss out on opportunities to be part of the program just because uh, because uh, we, we're not able to provide as much assurances as some guardians would be comfortable with. However, mm -hmm. I do have... Um, I do have confidence that in the next few years we are going to um, to minimize um, any doubts in the minds of guardians uh, of these girls who are involved in football. 100%. I think it's definitely a work in progress. I'll go on to the next question that's actually to you as well that says, what are CAF's smart objectives and or KPIs on women, grassroots and youth? And what could we expect within the next five to 10 years? Um, yes, uh, I, I, I really I love that question because, uh, again, 
when we talk about uh, uh, football, then our KPIs tend to be uh, to be focused on how competitive the African teams are on a global stage. If we look at the support environment uh, that this uh, participating uh, women and youth are going to take part in, then we want to aim at in the next five uh, in the next five years we want to have um, at least uh, over seventy percent of the of the youth who are playing in under in our under seventeen and under twenty Afcons to be bred in Africa, because the situation that we have now is that most of the people who get this opportunity to represent their national teams are not best in Africa. Uh, so we are trying to level the playing field. We're not trying to lock out this uh, other kids who get the opportunity outside, but we're saying that you can be in Africa and actually play in Africa. So mm -hmm. uh, you also realize that we have, uh, like right now, we have the under 20 um, Women's World Cup going on. Um, for many years, we've had the same two teams represent Africa. It's always Nigeria and Ghana or mm -hmm. Nigeria and Ghana all the time. So mm -hmm. we want to say that uh, in the next five years, we would like more African countries to, uh, to actually be competitive enough to qualify at a global stage. Uh, the senior men's uh, FIFA World Cup is actually increasing the slots for African countries. We just mm -hmm. don't want to be participating anymore. We want these kids who are going to go through the schools program and through the under-17 AFCON to be part of competitive African teams at global stages, at, at Olympics and at the, at, the, at the World Cups that are there. So we are trying to increase competitiveness. It's a bit... Um, it's a bit uh, slower, but uh, any technical um, any technical uh, practitioner, any coach will tell you that you don't rush some of these things. It's a philosophy. It's a culture that has to be ingrained. And competitive culture is not something that you get almost immediately. So in the next five years, we hope that some of these kids who are taking part in this organized competition can be scouted uh, to play. Um, and also participate in, the, in their countries under 17 Africa Cup of Nations, under 20 Africa Cup of Nations, and under 23 Africa Cup of Nations, where most of these kids get scouted. So um, that is our immediate goal. And the next five to 10 years, we want to see these kids represent their countries in Olympics and in the Youth World Cups. Fantastic. Uh, there's a next question that I think we touched on a little bit earlier, so maybe we don't have to go into that, which was more about funding. Um, it was about, you know, if there's challenges um, uh, getting access to the same kind of funding for different programs. And, you know, Romani, you touched on that as definitely. And there is even there are even more issues regarding the women's game. But I think there's, there's one that's also interesting here that asks about what aspects of um, what aspects should smaller African clubs be considering when looking to launch a women's team or opening their academy up to girls and women. So I think Romani or Paul, whoever feels, go ahead, Romani. <laughs> Someone mentioned in the chat collaboration, and I think that's a good way to start. If you're thinking of opening a club or opening a women's division in your existing men's club, it's uh, there's no need to reinvent any wheels because uh, people are doing it. So mm -hmm. I, I would love to see transparency uh, within my region, within the continent, of who's who's in this grassroots game. Who can I reach out to? Uh, if we could create that sort of knowledge sharing base uh, that would be an incredible way to start someone's journey when it comes to 
uh, kicking off a, a women's club or or adding a women's division to their league or, or club. Uh, beyond collaboration, which I think will take people very far, uh, I am personally hoping for just more professionalization, more structure. I mean, this is we're kind of going a bit full full circle because this is where we started. That it is that mm-hmm. those those frameworks, those ways of working, defined processes. Um, key routes, where to ask for what, that will mm-hmm. really shift um, the women's game into a more professional space. So, uh, yeah, I would say to answer that question, collaboration, um, ideally being able to lean on strong frameworks that are put in place from from the likes of CAF or, or member associations, um, yeah. and then uh, some grit, because like Paul says, if you're not going to help us, we're going to do it anyway. So you've got to, if you're starting um, this sort of uh, club or movement within your area, you've got to be able to just put your head down and work hard for a long time with minimal returns, possibly no returns when you yeah. when you look at a pure business point of view. If you look at it where personal impact for girls and women is the return you're looking for, that you are going to find a lot of that and that can carry you forward a long way because there's so much need for safe spaces or brave spaces or um, clubs where girls can learn technical skills and also grow as people. Yeah. Paul, do you have anything to add regarding that? Yeah, it would just be pretty similar. I mean, no need to start something someone else has already done or understands Mm -hmm. how to do. So yeah, find some people in your area that are already doing it and see if you can learn from them. Fantastic. I'll take two more questions for you, Yvonne, and then circle back to some, a comment for Romani. But more about CAF, Yvonne. Um, how is CAF going to measure its success in the current Football for Schools program, and how are the governments involved in the project, um, as most facilities and schools are government schools? Um, our current, our, our, our immediate uh, measure of success is uh, at participation level in terms of how many, how many schools show interest to participate. Uh, for the first season, um, having 41 out of 54 countries just uh, choose to participate, of course, was the first um, KPI that, that, that showed that this, this is actually going to, um, to, to respond to a need that is already existing amongst African countries. So over the next uh, period uh, of years, we're going to um, to add more uh, measures and checks. Uh, mm-hmm. So our target for the next season is to have all 54 countries actually be involved. And we want to have at least 60% of the schools in each country actually sign up to participate. Uh, the, for the countries, uh, as I mentioned before at the beginning, for the countries that already have school programs we are going to see uh, or rather we are working towards how do we integrate into that program uh, so that they better represent all the schools in the countries some countries have public schools doing their own things and private schools doing their own system of competition so our work is to try and actually find some synergy between this so Mm -hmm. how how are we going to make it uh, to make it uh, as competitive for both boys and girls? Uh, we also have some disparities in different countries regarding uh, the involvement of uh, of, of girls at that school mm-hmm. level. Uh, this mostly is uh, cultural best, and we're trying to work with the relevant government authorities to just see how this can be can be made right. 
um, some uh, the one of the biggest benefit that we have uh, with working with the ministries of education is that um, as the football experts, we get to advise them, especially on the uh, on the condition of uh, of the surfaces that these kids tend to play in. So together with um, our our professional football department here at CAF, we are able to actually be in a position to be of advisement so that we can have at least um, more football friendly. Um, football-friendly fields because uh, most of these schools have multi-purpose fields and but this is the opportunity that we now have to actually have football-specific uh, fields and also to reinforce. Um, I know it might not look significant but um, it actually um, impacts the culture so much when a simple PE session or game session is substituted for another subject. So at this level, uh, at this level, we're looking to tick uh, small boxes like that, where we are, we are saying that at least uh, having the PE sessions or other game sessions uh, be uh, an integral part of uh, every school going um, uh, young African so that we uh, mm -hmm. The Ministry of Education, we actually play a part into reinforcing the need for every young African um, uh, boy or girl to have um, uh, sports in the, as part of their day to day. So, as football, yeah. we are committed. Uh, we are committed to that. So over the next few years, our success will be something like uh, having all the 54 countries have organized school competitions, uh, having all the 54 countries uh, within, uh, within our members actually um, uh, have the school's uh, curriculum adapt to um, uh, a set number of hours dedicated specifically mm -hmm. for sports. So. Yes. Uh, this will mean that also the facilities will receive an uplift and our, our children are going to be uh, playing on surfaces that are actually safe for them. And it will also create the opportunity for them to actually be introduced to training for particular sports uh, at, uh, within the school environment. So just fitting into uh, the school program, it might not look um, very, uh, very big, but just having that culture already ingrained actually helps us. And when we have now the trained personnel, then it means that with that one hour that every kid will get maybe uh, every three days of a school week is an opportunity for us to just, um, uh, to just uh, introduce some of these values that football can, um, can positively impact uh, this uh, school going uh, young uh, boys and girls. All right. And I think the last two are more informational, Yvonne, just towards you. Maybe you can quickly comment where this information can be found. Nombello would like to know if there's a guideline document to be able to participate in the school's program. And another user would like to know if CAF is involved in or open to research um, collaborations. Um, that is a yes for both. Uh, the school's program has um, uh, a, a landing page. Uh, it has a, web, uh, a space in the CAF website where you can find some of the documents. Uh, and also, um, we remain available to provide any other documents that might be needed. However, um, I would like to reinforce that uh, we do like working through the, the federation of each country. This is mm -hmm. sort of also to empower them to be able to be better managers at their regions because they know their country is better. So we do have, uh, most of the time when we have uh, this interest, 
um, we do encourage it to come through the federation because we're also trying to create the professionalism within the federations um, as much as we it's not the top the the forum to discuss this but uh, it's very it's a reality in Africa that even our own administrators are not necessarily at that professional level most of them uh, either volunteers they're there part-time you know uh, yeah. so they're not necessarily dedicated to this but now where we are going for us to be able to be competitive in our football uh, then we do need to start from the from the federation level so we do encourage um we do encourage uh, reaching out to the federation and by the time you get to us then it means that uh, it's a bit more powerful uh, romani mentioned that they can't come directly to ask for uh, to us to ask for funding uh, but one of the key things um, and i think it's also been brought up how do we get funding for this grassroots program we have uh, access to different funds uh, or other african countries have different access to different funds however it is the channel that you use so like for example each federation uh, in Africa has access to um, to FIFA forward funds and also we have FIFA for schools funds so these two funds um, these two funds are to encourage mass participation so any grassroots project falls under uh, a beneficiary of these two funds and CAF manages how these funds are distributed in Africa however your first point of contact is with your federation. So the federations are already aware of the criteria that is supposed to follow for any project to qualify, to receive funding at grassroots level for these um, activities. So I think there is just streamlining the communication channels. Uh, on the question about uh, open to research collaborations, uh, I would say, yes, we are. Um, as CAF, we have been beneficiaries of some of the uh, research collaborations that uh, our governing body, FIFA, has had um, in terms specifically for women's um, for women's football. Um, and for this particular LinkedIn user, please do feel free to get in touch. I would love to, um, to evaluate um, what proposal you have and connect you to the right person who will handle uh, going forward. Fantastic. Thanks for responding to that, Yvonne. And just to wrap up now, Romani, I think we we'll circle back to the question about the theory of change and advice to clubs like yours, um, which you can give us that advice and how, on how you tackle some of the stereotypes that comes with girls and women's football. I think that's a fantastic parting shot and a nice way to end this discussion. Um, just dismiss the stereotypes. Don't even consider them. Uh, they, they have no space in this uh, world of football and world of professionalization. Uh, I think it's very important to hold on to the fact that men's football is an extremely lucrative business across the world. Women's football is just a bit further behind in that financial journey. Uh, investors should be excited to, to get involved because their return on investment will be high. Uh, so I think if you just look at it from a business perspective, women's football is a huge growing potential for investors at all levels um, and, and dismiss the stereotypes as you approach your work. Fantastic. So if there's anything you've taken today, keep doing what you do. They're going to follow eventually. Dismiss the stereotypes, you know, don't let anything be a stepping stone. There are a lot of challenges within the industry, but, you know, collaboration is some, an important word that came up and just 
keep on you know with a passion and someone at some point will connect with what you're doing so this has been a fantastic hour of a great discussion i hope that everyone tuning in um was happy to have their questions answered and engage in this discussion yvonne paul romani thank you so much for engaging with us and sharing great advice and it's lovely to hear about all the different projects and your work for grassroots um, youth and women in football so thank you very much and thanks everyone for tuning in yeah thank you so much thank you, <laughs> thank you.